let me invite y'all to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. You'll have a Bible uh, in front of you, or maybe it'll be directly behind you in the seat back. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. We are looking at uh, this parable that it's, it is often preached first. But when I was thinking about just the sermon series and where we're at and trying to, trying to introduce people to the parables I thought it might be good to kind of put this one halfway through so that way it's almost as if we can come back to uh, why the parables matter and and what happens when we listen to them. We're we're not going to be able to hit everything in this text. We're primarily going to focus on just the four soils. uh, But to give you a little bit of the context, you will see here that Jesus will be talking about the sower The sower is Christ who is proclaiming his word, his gospel through everyday people. And the seed that the sower is throwing out is the word, the gospel. So just kind of set the stage there. We're going to read Matthew 13, 1 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will, not, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed... Are your eyes for they see, and your ears for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people, they longed to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone sows the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what it was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are asking that as as seed is being scattered today by the power of the Spirit proclaiming the word to us, that you would help us to embrace the grace that is in the gospel. And we would embrace the seed, that we would see fruit be born in our lives, that we would not let the trials and tribulations take away our faith, neither the cares and concerns of the world choke out that seed, but Lord, make us good soil. We know that takes a miracle. We know that takes a divine work. We cannot change ourselves, but we are asking you that as the word is proclaimed, Lord Jesus, as you, the sower, is at work, that you would transform us. Would you meet us where we are? Would you speak to us where we are? And would you give us ears to hear? We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I grew up in a veterinarian's. uh, I was a son of a veterinarian. I grew up in, obviously, a veterinarian's house. And uh, there were numerous times where our dogs would have puppies. And I remember... One particular litter of puppies, we had schnauzers, and we had a dog who was named Kitty. I know, it was uh, strange. We had a dog who was named Kitty. Kitty had puppies, and it was so amazing, but there was always the challenge of which of the puppies would make it. Which of the puppies would be able to survive those first couple of days, first couple of weeks, and, and live? That was always interesting, and One of the things that was interesting is that no matter what you would do, some of the puppies who you thought would survive wouldn't, and the ones you thought would not survive would. I remember seeing several very small and weak puppies who we thought there's no way this dog can make it, and they would make it, but it would not be because of the puppy. It would be a combination of many different things, but that puppy is helpless. Why do I give that illustration? One of the things that happens every time the word is preached, and I know for me that throughout the years as I've been preaching, that question of which ones are going to live, that's the question in my mind every time. Which ones that hear the word of the gospel, which ones will live? Which ones will make it to the end? And it is not always the ones who seem like they have life altogether. The question that this parable is bringing to us tonight is this. Is the life of Jesus in you? What type of soil are you? You see, the parables are interesting because they're so clear and yet they're mysterious. So when Jesus would be preaching these parables... He'd be seeing, no doubt, numerous different reactions. The reason why I wanted to preach this halfway through is because I think this is a good kind of barometer for us to see 
Where is our soul at as we have been hearing the word of God preached on Wednesdays and on Sundays? Where are you? Is the life of Jesus in you? That's the question. First off, let's actually keep looking at verses 18 through 23. That's really where we're going to hang around there. It's Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower. So leave your Bibles open there because we really want to keep our eyes on Scripture. First off, are you the path? Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Who is the path? The path is the heart and soul of someone who is a careless hearer of the gospel. And maybe you have come in here, maybe you've come to church through the years. Maybe this is your first time maybe revisiting something like church or something remotely close to church. And you're just trying to try this out again. And you've never really embraced the gospel. You see, there are many times when we hear the word of God proclaimed or we hear someone speaking the word of God to us, but we're not careful hearers of it. See, this is the... Those who are the path, they're the careless hearer. And that we must always remember here as Jesus is describing, no doubt, this spiritual warfare that happens, that every single time the word is proclaimed, Satan is always at work. One person has said that wherever God sets up a church, Satan will also set up a tabernacle. He does not want you to hear the word. He wants to snatch it away. See, it is really interesting that as I've read through church history, you see the different eras of Christianity and the, maybe the different practices they would focus on and they would prioritize. And it's very interesting that preparing your heart for worship, spending time to get your heart ready to worship on Sundays was a big activity for them. But not so much for us anymore. We're more so focused on preparing ourselves for lunch when we're in worship. But see, we need to make sure that we're focused on the word and hearing it, taking it in, or else Jesus is talking about how the birds will come and snatch up the seed. I think it's very interesting as Jesus describes that. What are the birds? Well, interestingly, in Jewish literature, birds were often symbolic of demonic forces. In a positive way, we see the Holy Spirit himself who is described to hover over the waters at creation But what does Satan love to do? He loves to mimic the Holy Spirit. He loves to look like God, but he is not God. He loves to destroy the works of God. So he tries to look like he's doing the works of God. What Jesus is painting the picture here is that every time we hear the word, Satan is always trying to snatch up the seed of the gospel. When it says that the birds would devour, it means that they would consume completely. When it says they would snatch up the seed, it's it's this picture of kidnapping. You see, who is the evil one that Jesus talks about in verse 19? He is Satan himself. You see, when we reject the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are embracing the kingdom of Satan. Why does he love to snatch away the word? Why does he not want you to embrace it? 
Because he knows that the gospel is what saves sinners. The gospel is what plucks us out of the fire. The gospel is what makes us inheritors of heaven. He wants to steal away that seed because the gospel is what corrects our worldly wrong thinking. It's what helps us to see God's salvation and how to live in this world. The gospel is what renews us. It'll wake us up from being spiritually lazy. It'll give us comfort amidst affliction. It'll bestow to us joy amidst sorrow. And it will restore us from backsliding in our sin. But the gospel also does this. The gospel sanctifies us. It makes us more like Jesus. That's what sanctification means. The gospel helps us desire more of God. It helps us rest more in his grace. It helps us walk in his ways. It encourages others to grow in godliness. Satan hates it when you hear the gospel. That's why he is always at work wherever the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. He's always doing that. But who is Jesus for those who are the path? See, what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to snatch away the seed that the sower has spread. And he doesn't want you to hear the words of the gospel because he knows that Jesus is the greater prophet that Deuteronomy 18 talks about. Moses had declared that there would be a greater prophet than him who would arise. And that's the one you can listen to. That's the one you can trust. You can let down your guard and embrace his words when you hear him speak. That's why Satan wants to snatch it away. See, Jesus is the one who brings words of life and peace. Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 1.20 how all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the righteous one, John says in 1 John 2.1. You see, Satan loves to cause physical and spiritual harm, but Christ wants to cause physical and spiritual redemption. Satan loves to use his wisdom for evil. Christ is the wisdom of God who uses it for life and godliness. Satan is worthless, but Christ is infinitely valuable. Satan employs his army to destroy the faith of God's children, or at least he attempts to. But Christ rises to defend them and preserve them. You see here that Satan is a robber, but Christ is a giver. Satan demands that you sacrifice for him, but Jesus sacrifices himself for you. Amen? Brothers, sisters, if you find yourself being described in the path, you need to see the Jesus who is here for you. What does repentance look like if you are in the path? Repentance looks like embracing the grace of God and not waiting one second. You don't put it off. Don't be careless. Believers and unbelievers embrace the gospel of grace every time you hear it. It is true. Is the life of Jesus in you? That's the path. Second, ask yourself, am I the rocky soil? Look at verse uh, 20. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. What is the rocky soil? What is this type of person? See, this is the type of person who... 
They might hear the gospel and it looks good at first. It seems like they're making progress. We're encouraged. We are encouraged because that's how every Christian life can start out to various different degrees. But you're encouraged at first because you think, man, this person believes the gospel. It seems like they've accepted it. Jesus is interesting to them. He's exciting. But he's not yet worth their worship. See, I remember when I was in youth ministry, at different times, there were two particular girls who unfortunately were a great picture of this. It seemed like they had embraced the gospel. It seemed like they were, they were tracking with it and they wanted to hear it, but for a season. And then whenever persecution and suffering rose on account of the word, that's when you saw them walk away because they had no root. My friends, you will experience suffering in this life on account of Christ. The only way to endure that is if your roots grow deep into the gospel. But we often do see people. We see them where it seems like they lost their faith. But as John says in 1 John 2, 19, he says they went out from us, but they were never of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. That is a hard thing to see. I do hate to say it this way because it used to always annoy me. But when you get older, you will see it more and more. If you don't have roots that are deep in the gospel, when suffering and trials and persecution as described in the son in that parable, those tribulations, they will squeeze you. They will press upon you. They will crush you. That's how Jesus describes it. What are these tribulations? Well, we see through further studies that it's really any sort of physical, political, mental, social, or even economic adversity. Just any type of adversity that might come about over the word. You see, this type of suffering is when it gets hard to follow Jesus. Maybe you have friends who are starting to treat you differently. People who are not very fond of you because of what your ethical views are. Family back home don't like to see how you've changed. Or maybe your team or fraternity or sorority or classmates or, or co-workers, they begin to look down on you. Maybe you actually don't get that scholarship or don't get that job because you're a Christian. Maybe you lose social media followers or you're made a mockery on social media or you're left out of parties or gatherings or you just experience cancel culture. When those things come up, will you embrace the grace of the gospel or will you let it go? You see, you might not immediately forsake Jesus but you might slowly water down his message and eventually it will result in you having no gospel at all. But who is Jesus Christ for the rocky soil? You see, Jesus is the faithful one. When we were faithless, he remains faithful. He's the one who endured more suffering than anyone else, physically, mentally, socially, relationally, spiritually, whatever it might be. His were, as Isaiah talks about, his were the beautiful feet that bring the good news of the gospel, but the very feet of him were, were crucified to that tree. 
His hands were the hands that cleansed lepers and touched the unclean sinners. But yet those hands were nailed to the wood. See, he's the one who, despite all that, when people said, come down from that cross, if you really are God. He endured. And why? Because we don't. He endured because we don't. So that when life gets so difficult for us and the overwhelming suffering comes into our life, no matter what it may, might be, and we're, we're tempted to give up on Christianity because we don't see God coming through. Jesus says, when you are weak, then I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. Let me encourage you if you're in this season. Why does God allow suffering? We do not have all the answers. We just don't. But we do know many things, and we do know one very important thing. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I think that's very interesting that Paul, of all people, who was... Um, they tried to murder him, by the way. And he calls it light momentary affliction. Paul is not saying, y'all are so weak. He's not saying that. He is saying that no matter how overwhelming our suffering is in this life, the smallest joy in heaven will overwhelm that suffering. Amen? How do you persevere? How do you keep going? How do you grow in the depths of the gospel so that when suffering and persecution arises, you stay going forward? You look to heaven and see what you have in Christ. You look to see what you have, even as Christ prayed in John 17, 24, praying that we might behold his glory. I love what Jonathan Edwards says. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied to go to heaven Fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends, they're good, but they're shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams of light, but God is the sun. These are but streams of water, but God is the ocean. I love what Johnny Erickson Tata says. Johnny Erickson Tata, by the way, she is paralyzed from the neck down. Let that be the context of this quote. Somehow, somewhere within you is the pattern of the heavenly person you will become. And if you want to catch a glimpse of how glorious and full of splendor your body will be, just do a comparison. Compare, think about this, a hairy peach pit with the tree it becomes loaded with fragrant blossoms and sweet fruit they are totally different yet the same compare a caterpillar to a butterfly my friends no matter what suffering you go through if you have jesus christ you have no idea what joy and splendor that you will have in heaven amen keep looking there that's the Jesus you need. Is the life of Jesus in you? Thirdly, are you the thorn-filled soil? One article says this. Every night this woman 
This particular woman is talking about this woman used to sleep with an enormous seven-foot python. When she lay on her stomach, the reptile would lay from her head to her toes in what she thought was a beautiful bonding moment. That is, until she noticed that her snake had starved itself. The worried owner took her pet snake to the vet to make sure the animal wasn't sick. But when she asked about the snake's, or excuse me, when the vet asked about the snake's daily routine, the owner was greeted with a horrifying surprise. What the vet told her was shocking. I love how this article builds up the tension. It turned out that the python was fasting in order to prepare itself for a big meal, its owner. The vet explained that when the python moved and curled around her during the night, it was to better judge the size and weight of the woman because it was preparing to eat her. That is a very good picture of what the cares of the world can do to your heart. You think that it's not that big of a deal, that it's not that dangerous, but it's sizing you up and it's getting ready to kill you. As God describes sin to Cain, he says sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce on you. What does it mean when an animal is crouching? It is trying to look smaller and less threatening than what it really is. That's how Satan will always picture sin to you. One more look. It's not that bad. One more word, one more thought, one more just simmering in bitterness. It's not that bad. Jesus, he's describing how thorns, they choke the spiritual life within us. See, oftentimes we don't see that these worldly concerns that we don't see that they're like a python. Often how we see them are like dandelions. They look like a flower, but it's really a weed. And it'll choke the life out of flowers in the garden if you don't pluck it out. See, oftentimes the things of the world, they they are good things, but when good things become ultimate things, they will choke the life out of you. Let me ask you a question. How much do you find yourself more concerned about the cares of the world than the cares of your soul? Good things are things I'm about to name here, but getting the grades, getting the job or internship, making money, establishing future connections, keeping up with current trends, maintaining a social status, building up your resume, doing good works for others. Those are good things. You need to strive to be good students in school and glorify God there. But when good things become the ultimate thing, they're like the python that is sizing you up to choke you out. How often we use technology to choke the life out of us. How often we drown ourselves in our technology. And I'm very much preaching to myself because our technology will keep us from praying, from reading, from worshiping. Because we're more comfortable being distracted. Luke 21, 34, Jesus says, But watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. That is a very good verse for college students. Do not let the false promises of the party life and getting drunk. Don't let those false promises run your day where it says, but you can always follow Jesus later. Let's have fun now. But we also need to remember this. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Some of you can also have the spiritual life choked out of you because you're trying to do so much ministry, but you forget the Messiah. Even good things like ministry and reaching people. If you do not, if you do not remember that first and foremost, your godliness is more important than your giftedness. You might see spiritual life choked out of you. But who is Jesus for the thorn-filled soil? You see, I think it is very interesting that the same word for thorns, the same word that would be used to describe the crown of thorns that would be shoved on Jesus' head. Shoved on his head in mockery. Because he declared that he was a king and so they clothed him with purple garments to mock him because purple was a color of royalty. And they, they squeezed that crown of thorns on his head, mocking him. But here was the reality. In that very moment, in the courts of heaven, he was being crowned the king of heaven. But the king of heaven came to die for his people on earth so that he might save us from being carried away by the cares of the world. You see, Jesus Christ is the one who doesn't choke us, but he helps us breathe. Jesus has not come to cause us harm, but he's come to give us spiritual health. Jesus is not like Satan, who is the demonic serpent from Genesis 3, but rather Jesus crushes the head of the serpent so that he can free us from the things that might take us away from him. He's the one who cares for us. He's the one who gives us life. He's the one who builds our faith. He's the one who feeds us with spiritual food. He loves to show us how powerful he is when we are weak. And when the cares of the world are a lot. He loves to be like Peter when Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 5, 17. Casting all your cares upon God because he cares for you. Amen. My friends, what if the Lord is allowing you to go through a season of life where there are a lot of cares in the world so that you might learn more to cast them upon him? Oftentimes the Lord will allow us to go through seasons where it's either the rocks or the thorns or the path to teach us to fly to him for mercy. Is the life of Jesus in you? Fourthly, are you the good soil? Leverse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. Hopefully you're asking the question is this, how can I be good soil? Well, the bad news is that you can't change yourself. You don't have this, what, what the word enthusiasm literally means, this God withinism. You don't have spiritual life in you apart from God. Ephesians 2, 1 tells us that we're dead in sin, so we need someone from the outside to come to us to make us good soul. 
Jesus describes this in John 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. And he says, you must be born again. We also use a word called regeneration. Meaning that even when we were dead in our sins and we had nothing to offer God, God comes to us and just as Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we are spiritually resurrected from the dead to live unto God. Amen? And it is all of grace. Do you know why that's amazing? Because if he causes you to be born again when you had nothing to offer him, then even when you are born again and you struggle with sin, you will not lose that salvation. If you're going to be the good soil, you must be born again by the Holy Spirit. But that's what he does through the hearing of the gospel. That's why Jesus says that those in the good soil, they, they hear the words Jesus is saying that no one comes to faith in Jesus Christ without hearing the gospel. No one grows in their faith without hearing the gospel. Why do we do large group and small groups and one-on-ones? Because we know we need to grow in faith. And we focus on the gospel. And we don't get bored of the gospel. Because it is the gospel that grows us in the grace of God. I love what Paul says in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing Hearing what? Hearing the word of Christ. Jesus himself prays in John 17, 17. He's praying to the Father. He's saying, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. My friends, some of you might need to take home a Bible tonight that you have in your hand. Because the Bible is God's truth. And the gospel that you see in the scriptures, all through the scriptures, is what will save you and sanctify you. We need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, because it is grace that grows us. It is not, well, how can I just do better and be enough and just, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and just be a holy person. My friends, you're never going to be able to do that. (laughs) Good luck. Once again, good news, you're far worse than you think. But Jesus Christ in his grace and his mercy for sinners That is a transforming power that changes your heart and he will enable you by his grace to become more godly. Amen. When we hear the gospel, we can't just hear it. He also says at the end of uh, of the sentence, verse 23, we must understand it. What does that mean? It means we must comprehend it. It means we must grasp it. We must receive it and act on it. So we can't have... One idea that we often see today is when people say, well, theology doesn't matter. But see, for me to say theology, theology is the study of God. For me to say that the study of God does not matter is for me to say me getting to know my wife more does not matter. If you heard me say that, you would say you need marriage counseling. And I would. But when God saves us. How we grow and how we bear fruit is the more we study Him and we learn about Him. That doesn't mean you have to go to seminary all the time. Maybe some of you are called to do that. But all of us, as R.C. Sproul says, all of us are theologians. All of us need to pursue the truth that is in Scripture. Psalm 111 verse 2 says, Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. You see, it's not merely just having head knowledge. That's not also what I'm saying. Some of you do have head knowledge, but you don't have wisdom. 
Knowledge is just having knowledge of the truth. You can go on Wikipedia and you can get knowledge. Wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. A true theologian, a true Christian, is not someone who just has knowledge about the gospel, but is learning how to put it into practice even though they're not perfect. It is learning to actually use the knife on the cutting board and learning how to use it well. In the musical comedy, my fair lady, Eliza Doolittle, she was fed up with her lessons on singing and learning about words. And so she sings words, words, words. I'm so sick of words. And often we say the same thing. Either theology, 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 I'm so sick of theology. Or we say the gospel, 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 I'm so sick of the gospel. But the moment you're sick of it is the moment Satan's beginning to have you right where he wants you. What produces fruit in our life? Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You never grow beyond that. You grow further into it. You see, Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. My friends, you are never going to be able to bear fruit if you do not abide in Jesus Christ. You see, what we need is what is called God's means of grace. The word, the sacraments, and prayer. And those things experience in the community of believers. That's why we have RUF on campus. We have RUF on campus so that you might grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ in community. Not only as you go to corporate worship and you are involved in the local church, but also just when you are on campus. Do you want to grow in the gospel of grace? You're never going to be able to do it on your own. You have to do it in a community of people over the means of grace. Is the life of Jesus in you? When we had those puppies, as I mentioned, we did not always see the strong ones live. It was often the underdogs, no pun intended. But it was the ones who we thought there's no possible way. My friends, very often, It is the good soil that looks like there's no possible way that spiritual life can come out of them. And for some of you, that's your story. For some of you, maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, I do not see God at work. But my friends, we believe that God is always at work, even when we don't see it. Amen. It doesn't matter what sin you have. It does not matter what suffering you have. It doesn't matter what weakness or wretchedness. It doesn't matter what failures or faults. When you come to Jesus Christ and you give him everything, and when you embrace the grace that is in the gospel, he will transform you. That's how you bear fruit. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would transform us to be the soils and souls that we need to be to bear fruit for the kingdom of heaven. But Lord, we know that Bearing fruit is only going to happen as we're stunned and amazed at the work of Jesus Christ for us. So help us to keep looking to Him, to fix our eyes upon Him and His mercy, to see that He is who we need no matter what soil we are, but 
as we look to him, that we might be transformed more and more into his image. We ask all this in his glorious and gracious name. Amen.